What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Uncensored Critic Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me again for another very special episode with another very, well, actually, two very, very special guests. And it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show Chris and Tom Godwin, a, two, a pair of extraordinary actors who have done a magnificent work across their careers. Uh, some of Chris's credits include, and I must say, both of these guys' CVs just contain so much great work. If I was to list every single credit, we would probably run out of time. So, so I would... I'm blushing. Look, I'm blushing. You're blushing. <laughs> so uh, I hope I'll spare your blushes, Chris, when I say that some of your credits include uh, across television, he has appeared in Endeavour, Anatomy of a Scandal, The Hollow Crown, and A Young Doctor's Notebook with Daniel Radcliffe. Film, he's appeared in Venom 2, The Dig for Netflix, The Avengers, and Mary Poppins Returns. And of course, on stage, he has countless appearances with the RSC and Shakespeare's Globe, The Crucible at the Old Vic, A Christmas Carol, and of course, The Woman in Black. And Tom, for TV, has credits in Doc Martin, Discovery of Witches, The Irregulars, and Holby City. Film, The Hollow Crown, Alice Through the Looking Glass, Napoleon and, and uh, Knockers. I can't remember my handwriting. And, and on stage, you'll catch him in Best of Enemies, which is currently in town at the moment. Uh, the Scottish Play with Rob Ashwood and Kenneth Branagh, To Kill a Mockingbird, and of course, The Woman in Black. And of course, they were the first, I think I'm right in saying, the first father and son to play the roles of Arthur Kipps and the actor at the Fortune Theatre in town in 2015. And that is what I'd love to talk to you guys about today. So, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you? I'm well and um, <clears throat> looking forward to this interview, actually. <laughs> <laughs> no, me too. Very much looking forward to it. The episode, you know, to play with your son. Yeah. Uh, I have to say that at the beginning, uh, I was a bit nervous as to how it would play out but we discovered right we 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 sort of stated right at the beginning no mm. notes no notes so no notes <laughs> anything had gone wrong you just went straight up and said what you know why is that why do you do that okay that's fine and then forget it because um it when you're working so closely with one other actor some things can get blown right out of proportion but i have mm. to say I mean, I knew Tom was a good actor before we did this, but I really had the greatest respect for him when we finished. I thought the mm. discipline and professionalism and the sheer fun that he kept with it was just, uh, well, I was terribly pleased and very proud. Yes, <laughs> you're a proud father. You're a proud father. <laughs> yeah, so Tom, what was it like for you? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's great that we were able to share that space together. Mm. And um, we've had obviously quite different careers and different paths uh but i think there's a shared love and respect for for the business of theater and the fact that you have to repeat it and that yeah. takes you know that takes energy and discipline and and fun as well yeah and i think we we people often say we're you know that i'm the apple doesn't fall far from the tree and <laughs> you know i've been hearing that all my life about god you look what? like so much like your dad. <laughs> yeah i know um but it was it was great to be able to to share what we both do professionally in that context and i think the um you know when you're repeating something over and over and over again and what, yeah. how long did we do was it nine months nine months nine yeah. months That's nine months yeah. well it was two months at the Stephen Joseph Theatre in Scarborough. Oh, of course. Because that was the 60th anniversary of the Stephen Joseph Theatre, mm -hmm. where the Woman in Black started. And they wanted to remount it to sort of celebrate, because it's one of their most successful shows to come out of the Stephen Joseph Theatre. And they wanted 
people with strong connections to Scarborough, which Dad obviously has because of working with Eightbourne throughout the 70s, and I have because I was born there. <laughs> <laughs> so that that's how we kind of started. And it was also the year that I turned 40. Um, so it was lots of things all at once, going back to Scarborough, working with Dad. We had worked together before on a couple of things. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it was, it, I mean, like, dream come true is a bit of a, a rubbish expression, but it was, it really yeah. was, because it's a cracking yeah. movie and well, he's very professional. So it's, yeah. it's great to share the stage with him. But yeah. I have, one of the interesting things is that Tom's uh, background, he went to Lecoq in Paris. Mm. Yeah. And I had no training at all. I kind of, um, one of those rather sort of rara avis, I came up through stage management and so on. But my approach to theatre is probably more traditional than Tom's. But the fascinating thing is, although his approach is quite different, we arrived at the same uh, solution. Mm. I still think, I still find that uh, an extraordinary thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they, you're all trying to get to the same point, are you? You're trying to get to the mm. same point where it's working, it's live, it's people are listening. And however you get there, it's kind of irrelevant, really. It's, it's, we're all aiming for the same point where it works. Yeah. I'm not sure who said it, but as an author of one of the great acting books, he said, uh, we're all trying to get to the same island. You know, some people go by plane, some people go by helicopter, some people want to swim, some people want to row a boat. You know, it's, we're all trying to get, we all have our different processes, but we're all just trying to get there. And I think, you know, we'll be respectful of each other's processes in a way, but that's great. Um, so yeah, guys. Um, so one thing I like to really talk about on this podcast is the beginnings of journeys and uh, the inspiration to do what you do. Because uh, as an actor myself, I'm always interested in, uh, yeah, people's journeys, their processes, what they like to do. So uh, where did um, the spark of inspiration to be an actor, where did it start for both of you? Where did it come from? Well, Tom, you go. Well, I think you started first. You should answer. <laughs> <laughs> it's very difficult to pin down, Oliver. I think yeah. that uh, I was born during the war and we ended up sharing a house in Dulwich with three other families. Mm. And by freak, I managed to, I was put into Dulwich College Kindergarten, and that which was quite a posh, well, it still is a posh school, I suppose. And then I went into Dulwich College Prep, that was the next thing. Mm -hmm. And so it was very much sort of, hello, sir, thank you, sir. <laughs> and then we moved to um, Blackheath in 1950, and I was put to an ordinary LCC school and I, I lost my hello, sir. Thank you, sir. <laughs> around about two days flat. <laughs> became as South London as anybody you like. <laughs> and, right, uh, how's it going? All right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Son? yeah. And uh, I think maybe that had something to do with it. And I didn't really fit in with the school. But during mm. the nativity play, I was cast as a, one of the kings, I think it was. Mm. And I thought, there was a sort of an inkling at the time. I thought, ah, oh. I like this. <laughs> I see this has some kind of uh, hook here. And then later I got a scholarship to another school, to a school called Allen's. Uh, I had to go to a crammer's to get my 11 plus. <laughs> I had to take another exam to get into the school. But that, that has a very strong dramatic tradition. It's where the youth theatre started. Mm. And I did a lot of work, uh, you know, school plays and so on. And when I left, I thought, you know 
what I've enjoyed doing most through my school career is um, acting. I'll be an actor. How naive can you get? But there we are. <laughs> <laughs> this is not naive at all. Not naive at all. Set you on a good path. Set you on a good path. Uh, Tom? Um, well, obviously, Dad, you know, uh, I grew up in a, in a theatrical household. Um, Mum, Christine, uh, Dad's wife, is also an actor as well. Um, although she'd stopped by the time I was sort of really aware of what she did. Mm. But yeah, my, myself and my bro were, were born into that, into that environment. And I think it was just always around, you know, mm. I've heard the stories about me being in, in the pram in rehearsals at Stephen Joseph <laughs> and around. And, you know, so I suppose that that was just the reality of, I grew up in. Um, and I was really into it at school. Mm. Um, probably because, you know, it's quite normal for boys to sometimes want to emulate their fathers. Um, and it was just one of those things where I thought, yeah, I want to do this. Mm. Um, but then Greenwich Theatre were doing castings around local schools for some children to perform in a play called Intermezzo, mm. um, which was directed by Alan Strachan um, and had Jonathan Kent as an actor in it. Um, yeah. And I auditioned for it at my school. Um, and then went home and told mum and dad about it. Um, and then about a week later, the phone rang, it was Greenwich theatre. And I think you were out of work at the time. I was, I remember him sort of putting his hand over the receiver and saying, it's Greenwich theatre. Um, it was for me <laughs> offered for this job. So I did that. I was, it's um, gone on like that ever since really. <laughs> I was like nine pushing 10 and, um, I just thought this is it. This is what I want to do. Yeah. Um, and then when Francis Matthews, Matthew Francis took over running Greenwich theatre in the late eighties, I think it was, um, he called and said, I don't suppose you'd know any 14 year olds who'd be interested in doing any plays at Greenwich theatre. Mm. I think he was, it was a loaded question because obviously <laughs> me, yeah. Um, yeah, me. <laughs> yeah. By then I'd done some school plays and I wasn't, I enjoyed elements of school. I also went to Alain, so there, there is a, another connection there. Yep. Um, and there was there is a big, strong dramatic tradition at Alain's, which was still there when I was a, a kid there. Mm. And I, I did three plays back to back at Greenwich Theatre: um, Surrender Bergerac, The Corners Green, and Miss Julie. Wow. That's just I just thought I, I'm really not interested in school or university. I just want to leave. Yeah. And work. Yeah. So I didn't even want to do A-levels, really. Um, yeah. They persuaded me to stay on, which is good because I did Salieri and Amadeus. And Held and you down and yeah. until you agreed, really, didn't we? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, because I stuck around for A-levels, I had a replacement, uh, a temporary drama teacher, who took us to see Complicite. Mm. Uh, so it was their show, A Minute Too Late. Um, Joss Huben, Simon McBurney, and Marcello Magni, who sadly passed away this year. Yeah. Three of them... Uh, were the ones doing that show and i saw that and it just completely changed it was a complete paradigm shift um and that's why i went to lecoq so mm. it, it was there you go potted history but that yeah. was that was how i got into it yeah mm. nice uh, but what was it like training in lecoq in and because you because it's in paris isn't it the, the, the it, school well you did you did french at a level too didn't you i had done uh, french and so that was a plus it <laughs> was to tell the story about the letter <laughs> It was that um, I'd been looking at all the prospectus for uh, 
drama schools over here because mm. my, my dream was quite simple it was go to RADA become an actor I hadn't really done much work beyond that yeah simple <laughs> yeah, very simple <laughs> and I, I got all these perspectives through or prospect I'm not sure plural of perspectives yeah. and it was just whilst I, I was in awe of, of the, the the scale of those drama schools I felt like it, it didn't ex necessarily excite me mm. the, the kind of the list of what they were doing um, and I, having gone to see Complicite, without me knowing, my mum had written to the Lecoq School for a brochure, and because I'd gone home just completely raving about it, and it came through. Yeah. She said, "Here, I've, I've sent it off this for you." <laughs> I opened it, and it was just a long list of things I was scared of doing, never thought I would do, never dreamt of doing, and it was just so exciting. And the fact that it was in Paris, and Anyway, I was just completely sold. But the minimum mm -hmm. age for entry is 20. Right. Uh, and I was obviously 18 at the time. Uh, right. I had a wonderful drama teacher called Eileen Chivers, bless us all. Um, and she wrote me a fantastic uh, reference. Oh, good for her. Um, yeah, which was, was and as, as did um, Francis Matthews as well, who's yeah. a, I'm still in touch with. And, um, yeah, I had I had some good references, and because I spoke French, mm. I think thought, okay, we'll we'll let him in. But I was still the youngest. <laughs> the I was the youngest in the school when I left. Yeah, um, and I think because I was so green, a lot of stuff didn't touch me, or I didn't necessarily dig deep enough. Mm. Um, and Lecoq always said, you know, don't think about this too much. Go and work, and in about five years' time, it'll start to make sense. Mm. Yeah. So I did yeah. it for five years. We're like, oh, right, okay. There was something yeah. you quoted to me the other day. I was having trouble with the play that I'm doing at the moment called mm. Something in the Air. And um, I said to Tom, we'd had a fairly difficult rehearsal period. He said, oh, yes, Lecoq used to call that wrestling. And it's so right. It's yes. It's an exact term. <laughs> that's, that's very true. That's, that's, that's very good. That's very good. <laughs> I can't tell you how many shows I've done like a week before opening night. We're going, how, how is this going to work? How is it? How is it? Is, is this actually going to make sense? <laughs> Thankfully, it all comes together sometimes at the last minute. But um, so you as a translator, didn't you, for your first term for most of your year? Um, for, for some of it, yeah, because it was taught in French. But yeah. um, but you did A-level French, though. Yeah, literature. I'm not sure how useful that was. <laughs> yeah, but you've got a very good ear, too. Yeah, that was more working on the markets with his brother, who's a farmer in France. So ah. I used to, used to work on the markets selling fruit and veg in French. I think that was probably... Yeah. That, more probably useful helps. than Racine. Probably, probably helps, yeah. <laughs> Your grasp of slang was always quite good too. <laughs> what's what's a good French slang? Do you, do you still know any phrases? Um, yeah, maybe not to be to be repeated. Um, I don't know. <laughs> it was the cleanest version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, very good, very good. So, uh, do you still do you still speak much French now, or are you, are you? Whenever you I can, yeah, I enjoy doing it. It's um. I can kind of, my grammar's terrible and I mm. always get my genders mixed up. Um, but yeah, I think once you've lived in a country for a long time, you, you, I hear it in real time. So if someone speaks it, I, I just hear it. I've got my French ears on. Mm. Um, speaking yeah. it's obviously harder. Yeah. Do they, do they glow um, blue, white and red at the same time? Then, you, then they just sort of, <laughs> you know. You know <laughs> do show us next time. <laughs> 
<laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So let's um, let's jump into uh, your involvement in the Woman in Black. Um, for some reason, I've, I've got one question written down here, which was, was it like a happy coincidence that it was a father and son who got parts or was it something that was actually planned or did you just both turn up at the same rehearsal or going wait wait wait, 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 wait what are you doing here <laughs> like that. There's, a, there's a story behind it is i had done the woman in black some three years before was it Fif well, years 15 before? years you did it with tim um uh, uh, tim watson yes that's right so i had done it once and okay. uh, robin herford who always directs it uh both in england and in america or wherever mm. Uh, and always brings a fresh eye and a fresh ear to whichever cast he's working with. Mm. He rang me up once or twice and said, would you like to do The Woman in Black again? And I said, N no, thank you. Mm. Uh, and uh, not because I disliked the production, but I'd done it. Then mm. uh, this last time he rang, he said, do you, would, we're wondering whether you'd like to have another stint of The Woman in Black. And I said, well, Robin, he said, with your son. And I said, yep, mm. I'll do that. Yep. Wow. <laughs> And uh, then, thankfully, Tom agreed, and it was a it was a very productive um, nine months. Really, mm. and the rehearsal period was I found I found that rehearsal period quite interesting. Mm, I loved it. Mm. I'd already auditioned for the play twice before, mm. I'd stretching back about eight years. <clears throat> oh, really? Um, yeah. So I'd met Robin once or twice before, and well, he I, met you in a push yet. Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> In a professional context. No. You got. To, I'm going to work with you one day. <laughs> yeah. I'd um. So I'd had auditioned for it before, so I was on on their radar. I think it was also the. Obviously, they wanted to get Dad back because he's very good in it. Mm. Um, it was also what I was saying about the the Stephen Joseph connection. I think that was that was another kind of um, signifier, wasn't it? Yes, but you had a you had a pretty good rep as an actor by the time you got cast in Woman in Black. I mean, they, you know, they knew what they were buying quality, which was great. Oh. <laughs> oh, I, you know, they, Absolutely, they, yeah. Good. <laughs> they were buying quality. That's good. <laughs> That's good. So, yeah, so for anyone who doesn't know uh, the play, I'm, you know, because um, I know it's been running for 30 years, you know, it's now a film. Um, it's a brilliant novel as well. I've, I've reread the book in, uh, in preparation for today and even just, well, first of all, I noticed how brilliantly clever Stephen Manantrap was in adapting it. It's a really, really beautiful way of doing it. But I don't know about you, but when I was just reading, especially those passages when he's Kips is walking through the house and he hears the rocking chair, and you're, I mean, and somehow you're reading it in total silence, and then suddenly like the house will just make a noise and you just go, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> You just have a little look around. And you just say, "Okay, it's all right. It's just my imagination. Calm down. It's all good. It's all good." But, um, but yeah, um, what was? Um, I had a question, and now it's just disappeared in my head. Um, but yeah, what was the play like? Oh no, I was going to do the intro. God, I'm all over the place right now. Uh, but so yeah, the the story is about a young uh, solicitor called Arthur Kipps who travels up to the northern town of Crith and Gifford to settle the accounts of a Miss Alice Drablo of Eelmarsh House. Uh, and as he gets up there, uh, he is a non-believer in ghosts. But when he gets to the area, he slowly begins to realise that the ghostly appearances of a young woman with a wasted face dressed entirely in black has more terrifying and sinister undertones than he thinks. Uh, and I cannot recommend the experience of this play enough. Obviously, it's now a film and everything in between. 
Um, but if you really want the real quality, the real visceral, brilliant quality of this play, you have to go to the theater. I, you have to go and see it at the Fortune Theater in Covent Garden. Um, you can get good price tickets, just get yourself there and for a good scare and a good thrill. Um, so for speaking, so speaking to yourself, guys, as people, the you know, you brought it to life every night and afternoon for nine months. If you were to sum up the experience, what was it like, sort of in a nutshell? It was, um, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I love the repetition of, of theatre. And when it's, when it's a well-written piece, it's been well-directed, you know, the, the scenography, the, the props, everything just fits. Um, it's, it's a quality piece of, of, of drama. And when it's that good, it's a joy. I, for me personally, it's a joy to repeat it, mm. uh, especially as it's a two-hander because you're never off. So you're, you're always on. And if you're not speaking, you're listening and reacting or playing in a different reality to the other actor. So it's, it's, it's a real duet. Mm. It's just a joy, frankly, because mm. it's storytelling at its at its most fundamental. Yeah, exactly right. That it's it's doing what theatre does best, was to animate a story, if you like, um, and the, in front of a, a lot of other people. And the, once you get the atmosphere, you can take them anywhere. Mm. I, the simplicity of this, I think, is one of the great strengths of it, and why it's lasted so long. Mm. It, it's also the um, Robin Herford director is is great. About this he's got real clarity which is that um because so much I, i'm not going to give anything away by telling this i don't think <laughs> no 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 <laughs> so much of of the relationship between the actor and kips so that kips is the old man that the story happened to and the actor is the person he hires to help him tell his story so that he can exercise the demons because he's mm. still haunted by the memory mm. and the actor has the bright idea of turning it into a show um and so as the actor is explaining to Kips how theatre works, the play is also explaining to the audience, this is how theatre works. This mm -hmm. is what we do. Mm -hmm. we do. This, we've got sound, we've got lights. And so... Mr. Bunce. Mr. Mr. Bunce, yes. <laughs> very um, declamatory in that sense. And it, it, you have to get the audience's buy-in and, and then you explain, this is what we're going to do. Mm -hmm. All an illusion, obviously, which people know because they've gone to the theatre and they know it's not real anyway. But it's a real examination of how theatre works and how imaginations work. Mm. For that, it's just a joy because you are yeah. you're laying it all out for the audience and saying, right, come with us because we're going to go this way. And we'll explain how it will explain how you get there. And yeah. Then, yeah. So it's you, even though you are um, you are kind of it is artificial. You're saying, look, we know this is artificial, but this is what you can achieve with artifice and imagination and illusion. Mm. Um, because the fact is people have already bought into the fact that it's not real. But often plays try and convince you that what they're doing is, you know, but this completely smashes the fourth wall mm. in, in more than one way, which I won't say any more about because we're, we're well, sure people yes. who haven't seen it yet. The scary yeah. bit is wonderful. We, we, you, you could hear the, the fortunes of small theatre and you can mm. hear and there was some, I mean, there was some, was it the one with the, the American who, who was commenting all the way through and then saying, um, I don't find this scary. Was it that one? Or was it the first time I did it? I, 
there was a, a a guy in in the third or fourth row, and the beginning of the play when the uh, man who was trying to get this exorcised from him mm. uh, can't can't talk, and so he mumbles. Mm. And the, this chap said, um, "Well, I I think this is terrible. This is the West End, and I can't hear a word he's saying." And his wife was going, shush, shush. Anyway, he sort of grumbled all the way through. And then at one point he said, well, it's not scary. I think we should go. She said, just give it time. Just give it time. <laughs> and the scary bit happened. And he went from the stores when I heard, Jesus Christ. <laughs> that was good. And yes, that, we got, you got him back. You got him back. <laughs> you can feel the audience actually getting involved, can't you? Yeah. yeah. A lot of that traces back to the roots of its birth, which was that it was done in the bar, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Because there was a bit of spare money left over while Alan Aitbourne was on sabbatical at the National Theatre. Robin Herford was running the building. And, and he had no money. Well, he had some money left over. But, yeah. And the, the treasurer said, you've got to spend it, otherwise you'll get less next year. But there oh, wasn't right. to mount a full-scale panto, was there, or anything like that? Yeah, so they did it in the bar, and <laughs> they, they did it... Um, late. So after the main show, after the main panto, there was a kind of a showing in the bar, literally the bar. Um, and they did the same show in the bar. That's how it started. Wow. I think it's, it's a real testament to how they got the basic ingredients so right. Steve Manatrack, Robin Herford, um, lovely designer. Come on. Oh, uh, hang, hang on. Let's, let's, I've, got a, I've got a copy of the play here. Let's have a look. <laughs> uh, oh, God. Come on, you worked with them for years. I know, I know. Wait, oh. where is it? Uh, <laughs> lyric? No, no, no. Wait, that's the lyric. Hammersmith. Um, oh no, wait. Uh, Michael Holt. Is that yes. it? Michael Holt. Yes. Yeah. Hooray for Michael Holt. Oh, yes. Sorry. There you go. Sorry, Michael. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> they did. We love you. <laughs> Pretty much the same script, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, it is. I think. Uh, I yeah. don't think the script's been doctored at all. Yeah. You know? And and the use of gauzes and all of that stuff. It was all there in the original production, which happened in the bar. Wow. Yeah. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how scary that would be. I mean, there is there is sound. Yeah. But a lot of the visual effects are just happen in front of your eyes. They're not sort of CGI or anything like that. They just happen yeah. uh, using Victorian um, methods of uh, reveal and things like that, which. Mm. Really, still working, still work very well. Yeah, very much. Does. I think um, I don't know if you guys remember, but there was a, an interview. I think a ATG tickets did of you two in your dressing room. I think when when you were doing it at the time, and uh, Tom, I think I've got one of your quotes here where you said um, you've talked about this a little bit already, but you said about the mechanics of acting. This play is really much about the mechanics and what you can do that what theatre can provide for an audience and what a film and screen can't. So. You know, you've already talked about this already, but it's just the genuine like feeling and atmosphere that you get in a theatre, especially with a play like this, it, that that is just a huge advantage that screen just can't give you. And, um, you know, is there any was there any other assets of this play that or indeed any other of your theatre work that you've done that just makes you think this is the this is the place to watch stuff? You know, theatre just has this edge over any sort of art form. I think theatre it necessitates the audience's participation yeah if they're not there with you then it's not going to work so there's a contract between the fact that they've found out about the show booked the tickets traveled there turned up dealt with all of that you know it's an expensive process a lot of the time going to the theater yeah. but 
that initial mindset of I have come to listen, I've come to to watch, I want to be here. Um, and on top of that, I have to concentrate, I have to be quiet. And, I, and, and it's a shared experience as well. I think that's the other thing is that the audience become a collective and it takes on a much bigger identity. Um, and you are part of that just by being there. Mm. So, like I said before, the the fact that the play explains and sort of lays out, this is the deal. This is how this is going to work. We're going to do this and you're going to do that. Off yeah. we go. It's yeah. the audience feel engaged and part of it. Um, but it's the, it, it is the business of, uh, uh, you know, 600, 200, 300, whatever, or, or in the case of the theatre I'm at the moment, 70 seats, um, all having a collective experience. Yeah. And... It helps itself in a funny way. Once they start to get involved, then the whole thing rolls even further. Mm. And I think that uh, certainly the woman in black has this collective build-up of atmosphere, yeah. which the audience contribute to too. I mean, there are skeptics, and I heard, you know, schoolchildren coming, uh, having a, giving a pretty hard time, and then as yeah. they progressed, they really got gripped, and. Quite a number of people have come up to me over the years and said, oh, I, my love of the theatre started by seeing The Woman in Black. Yeah. I saw you and your son do it or whatever. Mm. And uh, that's great that they had this collective experience which still resonates with them years later. Also, yeah. I think it was um, John, the company manager, saying, I think it's 50% of their ticket sales are school children. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Young adults. Yeah. Um, and... It's, you know, I've heard a number of people who've worked on that project a long time who said if it wasn't for that, it wouldn't still be going. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and yeah. It, it, it often is people's first experience of theatre. Yeah. So that, again... Was mine. Was mine. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yours was, yeah. Uh, well, not, not my first experience of theatre. I've been to pantos and stuff like that. But yeah. that was the first time I went to the theatre. And I've, I've got a bit of a confession to make, actually, throughout... The first time I say I've seen it, uh, I've seen it four times now. I just absolutely love it. It's brilliant. Sadly, I missed you guys, but um, <laughs> if you if if you reprise it next year, I will be there. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, uh, PW Productions. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's a short disclaimer. You had it here first. But uh, you heard it here first. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, I really like the first act. But the, in the second act, I was I was scared at the interval. It was the first time I'd been to a play and been terrified. Uh, and I have to admit, I didn't watch a lot of the second act, primarily because I was sat in my seat and I had a hat over my head like this <laughs> <laughs> the whole time. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so I went with my school lot. We were all like uh, 14, 15, 16 at the time. And so I was like this with my head, the hat over my head, just not, I don't want to look, I don't want to see, I don't want to, what's, what's going on? And then when everyone screamed, like at particular moments, uh, I was literally just there going, oh, God, okay, I don't want to see something's happening. <laughs> but that is just a testament to, and I'm sure you guys got the same reaction as well, but like this this is a brilliant, brilliant piece. And, you know, in Susan Hill and Stephen Manatrat, I've done something because I think Susan Hill said herself, is said that there's ghost stories everywhere, you know, and it's very, very hard for one to stand out. So that's, there's something about this play which is so good I mean and obviously as actors you know we do the same thing every night as you said you did it for nine months but were you constantly just finding new but were you finding things? I know Chris you've done it before but were you finding new things the second time you did it as well 
Oh, and did you have those moments where you thought, wow, this is this this is a pleasure to do every night? Sometimes uh, the although I hadn't done the play for however long it was, eight years or something, or seven years, um, reading the characters again. Yeah. The character voice was still the same. I, I still had the I often read a script and see a picture of the character and hear them in my head. And that hadn't changed. What did change when I did it with Tom is the interreaction between those characters and yeah. the character that Tom had created. And that was what was fascinating. And it's still all the way through these different characters. I can't remember how many I uh, how many does the older actor play? It's a good five, five at least. Um, but the interreactive thing uh, ch changed, was fluid, and it changed sort of yeah. day, changed performance to performance. I mean, some were more uh, more new than others, and some were very new. So, I mean, I yeah. think that was what kept the interest, certainly from the actor's point of view, going. Mm. Mm. And uh, so, I, I do have a question here about. Um, I'm sure we, we might be able to give a little spoiler just a little bit if you want to but was there a specific moment that you most look forward to every night and slash least look forward to every night <laughs> um i love the because it's so visual mm. and it's 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 beautiful there's there's a beautiful simplicity to it um but it just works it's 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 mm. ergonomic it, it just works um there's there's stuff with candles and shadows. Oh, yeah, yeah, and with, with and, the hand, yeah, yeah, and there's different layers. This isn't giving anything away, but there's different layers of depth to the stage as well. Mm. Um, like Dad was saying about Victorian illusions and and that kind of thing. So a lot of that's still there, but I'm very I'm a very visual person, and I really enjoy stuff that's off. The words that's kind of non-verbal communication yeah um and the beauty of the woman in black is that it has that 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 part of the production is as strong as the text yeah and i think it's just beautiful you, you create this this imaginary world obviously but mm. be able to be able to sort of move through it and explain to the audience what you're doing and then do it mm. it's you're really leading them through so I loved all the, all the the visual stuff, and I loved the. There's a scene in the in the graveyard in the swamp with a dog. I also very much enjoyed oh, that. Yes. <laughs> oh yes, the spider. Oh, spider. Yes. Oh yeah, that that bit. The first time I watched it, I was. It's very interesting. Yeah. Asking people afterwards about spider, what sort of dog was it? And nearly, yeah. I suppose, 70, 80 percent of people said it was a Jack Russell. Mm, yeah, I, I got Jack Russell as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Certainly, I mean, you know, it used to when we used to whistle him, and he used to come back or not in the one instance. But um, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> they were there. They were there exactly. Funny, funny enough, the last time I went to see it, I was walking out, and there was a girl sort of about five or ten feet away from me talking with her friends, and she said, "I've never been more." Um, Oh, what's the word? I've I've never been more scared for an imaginary dog in my whole entire life. <laughs> Very high stakes. Yeah. Very high stakes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, what about yourself, Chris? Was there a moment you look forward to or at least look forward to every night? Um, not really. I mean, once once you'd started the thing, yeah. It was 
it was quite joyous. I mean, Tom really has explained the kind of ergonomics of it, if you like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, I don't, there wasn't any moment that I, I really looked forward to or hated. It was just a wonderful sort of unpacking of a Pandora's box for a new set of people. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, that's great. What, what would you say, was there a particular night for both of you that really stood out where you got a really good scream or a really, really good reaction or someone started well, you know, uh, shaking in their seat or something. <laughs> there are nights, uh, well, you know yourself as an actor, there are nights when you don't have to press on the loud pedal. You don't have to yeah. touch the gears. You could just touch the throttle and it just goes woof, you know, and they happen, those really felicitous nights don't happen all the time. Mm. Uh, but I have to say there were several <laughs> you just sort of went wow and that was lovely there you go one of the most reliable pieces i've ever been in mm. what in... you mean for, for actual playing and reactions yeah just yeah. The, the structure the scale of it and a huge amount of credit has to go to robin herford yeah um who's directed it so many times in so many <laughs> different countries and different languages he's done it in japanese yeah japanese japanese Stop oh. it, stop it. Sorry, he was born in 1942. Sorry about that. You can edit that afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Robin has this extraordinary ability to take it afresh each time. Mm. And I think that is uh, real credit to him because mm -hmm. a lot of people in his position would be a lot less flexible. Or he'd turn it over to a staff director or something. Take the paycheck and just say no. This is how it goes. Off your pot. Yeah. Robin actually took the time to discover it afresh. I know Dad had already done it, um, but it was but, a rediscovery. You know. Yeah, he yeah, he yeah. gave me the time and space to find it for the first time, even if he knew where it would eventually roughly end up. He allowed me the process of of discovery with it, and I think Robin is is probably one of the main reasons why it's still going because mm. he allows actors to own it. And if an actor's, and if, if an actor feels like they can own the work that they're doing and that they have full responsibility for it working, then it's like giving an orchestra player an instrument and saying, right, you can play now. Suppose mm -hmm. say, well, you come in on this bar and you do that, and then you can just go away for a bit. Mm. It's so involving, <laughs> and it is total, total theatre. Yeah. 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 What's, what's he like in person, Robin? What's he like to work with? Lovely. I mean, you've worked with him more than me. Yeah, I mean, actually, I go back a long way with him because um, I was in a rep in Dundee in Scotland and he was at St Andrews University. Mm. And he used to come across the Tay and see see productions at Dundee. So I met him, golly, in the mid-60s, I think. Um, and then latterly, when he came to Scarborough to be an actor, first of all, I worked with him as an actor and then uh, as a director. So yeah, we've got quite a history. Um, oh, wow. He's a he's a mensch. He's a, he's a what? Sorry. A mensch. <laughs> what, what, what is that? <laughs> a, a really whole splendid bloke and uh, one of the good ones. Oh, good. Sorry, I don't know. I've never heard that before. <laughs> M e n s c h. S c h. <laughs> so, um, he was also an actor. Yeah. Right? Oh, is he? And he did. Um, which is, it, which is the one that one wrote where there's like seven different oh yes it's called um intimate exchanges and that's, there are 22 versions of it 
and Robin did it with uh, an actress called Lavinia Bertram. And uh, they never knew it, it, it. Was it decided in on something in the first play which yeah. way it went? Mm. Then thereafter, there was another uh, diversion somewhere. So they could. There were twenty, twenty-one, or twenty-two. God knows. It was a complete tour de force for the actors. Well, wow. and for the writer as well, but for the actors. Yeah. I think that Robin. I don't know. <clears throat> pardon me. I don't know how much that Robin learned from Aikbourne, Um but Alan Aikborn is a, a, an amazing director as well. And yeah. Robin is not unlike him mm. when he's directing. He's very generous to the actors, but he's also, he likes actors. And sometimes you have to, well, as you know yourself, sometimes directors don't like actors that much. <laughs> <laughs> very true. Very true. Very true. Alan, Alan and, both Alan and, um, and Robin really do like actors. But they, they were also actors. Yeah. They, they, they know what it's like to be mm. on that side of the stage and they know what yeah. it's like to the egg exactly yeah, yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you know this story already but there's one of my favorite stories about Alan Eggborn was when he was an actor in the was it 50s or 60s it was just after Pinto had just written the birthday party and uh, they're in rehearsals for it I think it was going on the lyric Hammersmith and he went up to Harold who was there and he sat down he said I said Harold what's their motivation in this scene you know what's what, what's what, what's going on what's their backstory and Pinter just looked at him and said, mind your own fucking business. It's all in the text. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. He has a reputation for not taking any prisoners, Pinter. <laughs> yeah. Um, rehearsing yeah. At, um, at the Royal Court for something. And uh, he said, eventually he said, what's that noise? And somebody said, it's the district line running underneath. He said, I want it stopped. <laughs> And yeah, I think um, Michael Sheen told a story. They were rehearsing the homecoming at the National and they heard the tubes going by. Yeah. Very, very similarly, apparently, according to Michael Sheen, he turned around to the stage manager and said, can we do something about those fucking trains? <laughs> <laughs> and they went, well, that's the that's um, that's the underground, Harold. There's, there's, there's not really much we can do. He said, can we call someone? Can we bloody well call someone to <laughs> stop these trains? Uh, I, w I wish I'd met the guy. Oh, that's maybe maybe in the next life in the next life maybe <laughs> exactly um did you um uh, did you ever meet him uh chris so oh, sorry i've not never met pinter no yeah oh, i'd love to have met him because i know you're I met eight board a lot i was an actor with him in the early 60s oh wow was... our kind of uh, relationship started then right was... it was a version of the welsh theater company mm. 1963 Mm. and I didn't know he was a writer yeah I in fact did his first play in town which was called Mr Whatnot yeah which didn't work <laughs> <laughs> everything else did after that yeah was it was it one of his plays um he started it I don't know if this is true but I heard the story that he started a play it was about a married couple and he started it on Thursday he had a draft on Saturday he had it finished on Sunday and he was in rehearsals on Monday is this is this true like Craig David, <laughs> it is, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, Alan, when we did the Norman conquests, um, I was Norman, but I not in the first scene because I was working at Leicester. So they talk about Norman for the first scene, and then he appears in the second. Yeah. And uh, when we started the rehearsal for that one, uh, he had got play two pretty well written, 
but he hadn't got play three written at all. Right. And we didn't know what it was going to do until the night before we started rehearsals for the third play, when Heather, his wife, came around and put the typewritten script through the letterboxes or wherever we were living. <laughs> but it really was, he was skating on very thin ice. He also says himself, he'd be asked for a title and give it, and then write something quite different. <laughs> it's called the same thing. Yeah, so we have an idea, then it's kind of veers off course. <laughs> That's quite cool. Um, so just going back to the director of Woman in Black, and um, obviously, you know, it's as actors, you know, you've got to sort of keep it fresh every mm -hmm. night. Like this is the first time that you're explaining it, even though you've had six months of a run behind you. Um, working with Rob, what is the sequel? Did he ever share with you like the secret to a really good scare? Like what's the best way to get a scare down? I mean, I think there's, I don't know, from my perspective, so much of that's about rhythm. Mm. And, uh, timing and a lot of that is baked into the text and the structure and the visual life and the design of the play yeah that's one of the reasons why it's so clever and why it still lasts but you still have to tee it up and you still have to you know press the button at the right moment um i think it's for me it's about listening and it, it's about breathing as well yeah and something happens with a collective consciousness in a theater where it, you can hear the pulse of the audience or you can hear, you can hear their silence. You can, you can feel them. Yeah. 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 yeah you really can. <laughs> One of the things I love most about repeating something as in like, particularly you know, in the theater is, you know, where it's going to go. You, you, it, it's a bit like being on, on train tracks on a kind of little roller coaster and you know, you can't sort of wing it because you know, after about hundred meters, it does a sharp left turn and then it drops and then it comes up for the loop, the loop or whatever. But it's those microseconds. It's the space between things that you can, you know, shave milliseconds off, mm -hmm. whether it's with your physicality or, you know, the, the, the kind of immobility of your body in the sense that there's, you can build the tension, um, so you're not improvising, but you are playing with, with those subtle adjustments based on the reactions you're getting mm. and, and the sort of the tone or the level of that particular performance on that day. Every house is a, every house is a different animal in mm. a way. <clears throat> some are quick, some are slow, some are not attentive and then become attentive or sometimes not attentive at all. Mm, yeah. um, I think also it's to do with build up in writing that the the anticipation you know something's going to happen but you don't know when so there's a kind of tease for the audience that goes on but it's a slow build up to a moment of crisis which i think also produces the you know the sort of uh, explosive scary moments you can see it very clearly in um, horror films mm. you know, where you get a hint of what might be there and then a bigger hint and then something else and then something quite innocuous goes on and then suddenly bang yeah. and it's back it, it also really relies on a shit hot um crew and, and technical um team you know because you've got people moving chairs for you've got you know you've got lights sound props um there are so many other people that you don't see making it work mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and it's it's a collective effort mm. and i think that's also one of the the beauties of it is that you've got not just actors on stage but people backstage people in the box mm. um 
everyone's pulling together to, to focus everything on this moment to make yeah. it work. Yeah. Actually, yeah. Actually, the woman in black is quite simple, isn't it? I mean, what are, there's, there's an ASM, yeah. I think, and there's sound and light, yeah. one each. Uh, DSM as well. Yeah, yeah. It is but very simple. It's that's it really. Yeah, yeah. One it, of these pieces doesn't work. Yeah, you're mm. not going to get the the crisp qualities yeah. you need for those kind of. I mean, moments it's, of yeah. It's amazing, you know, when Woman in Black is such an effective piece of theatre, mm. with so few people, you know, a two hand. Well, uh, yeah, let's say a two hander. Yeah, yes. Um, when you. <laughs> work in the RSC where there may be 120 people concerned with getting a, a show up and running and on and then run when it's actually in running time mm. maybe there are 20 people involved in the actual running of it apart from the actors mm. it's a, yeah. a simplicity of uh, Woman in Black is so attractive <laughs> yeah it is it really is um you know and, and it's just the simple thing of making someone scared of the dark it's so simple yet so so powerful and i think on the fortune theater website there's uh the well i'm not sure if it's still there anymore but there was a little link to whoever was playing the roles saying that they'd experienced some ghostly happenings at the theater themselves i mean i'm gonna ask the same question to you guys i said while you were there did you have any of those spooky experiences obviously not on stage because that was rehearsed and that was work but uh did you have did you anything happened to you guys in the dressing room or backstage anything that you couldn't explain no it didn't i have to okay. say um i wish i had a better more interesting res response to that question. no it's fine <laughs> I have it's a, all good it's all good i have a response to that question when i did it i think it was done i did it first not with you there was a we had a read-through on stage and something dropped out of the flies at the moment that the the the, the scare happens and we kind of froze. Oh, <laughs> that was a good one. Was that? Yeah. It wasn't with you, was it? I do remember something like that happening. I think actually. it was with you actually. We, yeah. we sat down on the stage and we read it. That's and that true. Thunk, and yeah, it a gel, from, a gel fell out or something, wasn't it? Was it? Or yeah, or a, a lens cover or something fell off the number one spot. I've forgotten that. Yeah. Oh, crack. <laughs> Whoops! Clearly buried that in my subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> um. Just yeah. on of, of scares, yeah. You know, there is a um, there is a method to a lot of that madness, and Hitchcock, mm. Hitchcock really knew how to do it. Yeah, um, very very well. Kind of a blueprint for a lot of those, how you deal with levels of tension, and um, it, there is a musicality to that, where it just works, and you think, you know, it's basically you build up, you build up, you build up. The audience know what's going to happen already. They know someone's going to jump out. They know there's going to be a knife or there's going to be an explosion or yeah. a sudden surprise. So but they don't know when, but they don't know when exactly. <laughs> so, it's basically you lead them by the hand saying, you know what's going to happen and I know what's going to happen. Off we go. It's going to happen any minute. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Reach the point where it, it, they think it should happen and then it doesn't. Yeah. And you yeah. go, oh, and just at that moment where yeah. you let go of the tension, you come in from another side yeah. and you get them. Yeah. So they get what they expected, but not in the way that they thought they would. Yeah. That, there's, there's a real musicality to that. Yeah. yeah. One, one of the ex greatest exponents of this uh, method mm. was back Sir Henry Irving, who was a big yeah. bridge figure at the late 19th century and 20th century. Yeah. If you read the 
prompt script of the bells, his uh, famous vehicle with which he came to prominence in 1880 something, um, the prompt script details the the steps up to the one of the big denouements. Mm -hmm. And you can see he had it at his fingertips. He knew exactly what was going on. It's something that has lasted in theatre and is still as relevant today as it was then. Absolutely, hugely, yeah. And um, I like just going off what you were saying there, Tom, about you know how um, sometimes you think it's going to happen and then it doesn't happen. You think, okay, we're safe now. And it's only it's there. And, um, you know, at, you know, I'm not going to spoil it too much, but there's a certain moment which happens towards the end of the show. You think, well, Kips thinks he's safe. Yeah. But uh, he is not as safe as he thinks he is. That's all, that's all I'll say. Yeah. Uh, in a park just outside of London. That's anyway, I'll stop talking now because I probably will spoil it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but I remember watching, I'm first time... First time watching that, I sat there and I thought, okay, we're safe now. It's okay. Literally what you're saying, Tom. And I thought, okay, it's great. And then suddenly it happened. Yeah. You know, a certain thing happened. And and that was ingrained in my memory from the moment I left the theatre. <laughs> and as we left the theatre, it was just, it was still light, but I think it was just about getting dark. And I thought, as I, everywhere I looked, I could see a certain thing happening. And, you know, like you said, simplicity of theatre and that moment and everything. Uh, because there's a quick thing, great film, yeah. the original American Werewolf in London. Yeah, I have heard very good things, I haven't seen it, but I've heard very yeah. good things. Yeah, there's an example in that where there's a, a terrible scene, and then the main character wakes up, and you're like, Oh, it was all just a dream, but then something else happens, <laughs> reality. and that without spoiling anything in The Woman in Black that the way you can play with what the audience believe to be true yeah is very important um and you set something up saying this is reality and then the theatricality of it completely smashes that and you realize oh this is reality yeah and so american world in london is is a very obvious um reference for that but another one is noises off I don't know if yes you know that. yes play. so you start watching one play and then you realize, oh, I'm actually watching another play. Yeah. But the Woman in Black does that in three dimensions. So, yeah. Yeah. Could I, could I, could I, got time for this very quick story that I, yeah, was of in, course, of course. I was in um, Noises Off at the Savoy Theatre, uh, yeah. playing the director. And uh, it starts off with one play, and then one of the characters on stage uh, mucks up the script and looks out into the house, and the director at the back, who's at the back of the auditorium, yes. There's no, no, Dottie, love, the sod, whatever it is. And uh, this particular night, <laughs> I came in with my line from the back of the auditorium and a woman in front of me said, turned around and said, shh. They <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic. I mean, I mean, just I just have a few more questions about the woman in black, but just very quickly, um, do you guys have any other stories that are like similar to what you just said, Chris, about the audience being... Uh, you know, not as attentive or anything, not just The Woman in Black, but any other work that you guys have done on stage? Any stories that stick out? <laughs> what, dif what difficult audiences or... Uh, yeah, so like moments in the where the audience have uh, responded or done something that, not threw you off guard, I'm sure that you've... Well, you've, there's, yeah, there's yeah. one from Scarborough because we, I worked there for a long time and yeah. with Alan. And on the first night of the Norman Conquests, 
uh, where Norman comes on, he starts with a long speech, having uh, mucked up everybody's evening the night before. That this yeah. is everybody's really pissed off with him, and he comes in and he's bright as a button, <laughs> and he comes on and he says, "Morning, everybody," and uh, is terribly sort of cheery. And a bloke in the front row on the first night spraddled his legs and folded his arms and said, "I can't stand this bugger." <laughs> I thought, I've got news for you, mate, because there's another two plays to come, and all of this one as well. <laughs> all of this one as well. Get used to it. <laughs> I think a big, a big audience moment for me was uh, I used to be part of a theatre company called Blow Up Theatre. Mm. Some colleagues who we'd all trained together at the Jacques Lecoq School in Paris, mm. and it was a half mask show, um, mm. like comedian masks, you know. It, your mouth is uncovered so yeah. you can speak it's like, yeah like three quarters yeah yeah like comedian masks and um it was all set to queen's greatest hits and this was before we will rock you uh and we'd approached the the two directors of the company had approached queen um about using the the music in, in the uh, show and they were they were so fascinated that someone was making a show solely using their music because they were developing we will rock you that they let us use it for free. Oh, wow. And they supported us. And we ended up going to the Queen Fan Club convention in Prestatyn in Northern we North Wales. Wow. And we, we did the show there. And it was only an hour long. Right. Um, no intervals straight through. It was jolly mm. good, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I bet it was. Um, and just using Queen's Greatest Hits, the first album, not the second one. Yeah. I'm really sure about that. Um, but we're in. This no, I, I know about that. Don't worry. Right. <laughs> <laughs> There's some great songs on the second volume as well. But yeah, um, yeah, we were like, no, it's got to be the first greatest hits album. And we're in this enormous cavernous hall. I think it was Butlins um, in Prostatin, <laughs> and it was huge. And the stage is in the middle, like a kind of working men's club type chocolate box kind of, you know, very blocky, very basic stage. And the space was not at all a wieldy space for what we were doing. And there was about six, 700 people in there, all Queen fans thinking, mm. what the hell is this? Why on earth are we watching this, you know, random mask piece? Uh, who are these? What, what? Just... And so the first 20 minutes were really quite rocky. And, you know, there was some things thrown in the dark occasionally in between set changes and um, a couple of hecklers and a lot mm. of talking, but you yeah. know, we soldiered on. And it was only when we got into sort of the fourth or fifth scene, I realized no one was talking. They were all on board. They were all listening. Wow. And it was just beautiful. It was a lovely moment of going, oh, we got them. Great. Okay. Off we go. You know, we've got them. Yeah. We've got them. <laughs> There's this dreadful one in Dundee. Uh, they put up a show about William McGonagall, uh, the Scotch poet. Who yeah. Was the worst poet ever and they decided to do a bit of outreach which was very unusual in those days in the mid 60s and we took a show about william mcgonagall around the jute works canteens right they had 50 minutes to eat their lunch and they had to get it from the so that and we did this on the tables okay and i don't think i've ever suffered quite so much abuse in my <laughs> In my life, it was <laughs> appalling. <laughs> but you could see their point. They wanted to get their lunch. They didn't want these stupid mountebanks 
belting up that bloody table. <laughs> I was playing McGonagall, who was a Dundonian, and of course I wasn't Dundonian, I was English. The accent wasn't too bad, but it wasn't... What wasn't quite Dundee. <laughs> <laughs> Oh well, what, do, what, 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 what did they say to you? <laughs> uh, as, uh, well, I don't know. I mean, I can't say it on your podcast. Can <laughs> I'm joking. I'm witty, joking. Witty, uh, a lot of stuff went on that, you know, a witty, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll leave that. <laughs> we'll leave that to the imagination. Uh, Cool, good stuff. Let me just see what other stuff. Uh, happy coincidence on that one. Oh yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a spoiler, so if it is, we can move on. But um, there's a certain part of the set which I was always curious to know how it worked on the woman in black. Um, the rocking chair. Hmm. How does it work exactly? It's the ghost, mate. It's the ghost. <laughs> oh, the ghost. How yes. does it work? It's the ghost. What's the ghost? Yes. Worked yes. by the power of the audience's imagination. <laughs> it's a very good answer. It's a very good answer. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, and uh, and sort of just a few more things. Uh, I think I was asking you before we came on today, um, did you guys manage to get any sleep during the run? Because, as you know, when you <laughs> got into bed after a show, you turn the lights off. And, of course, the sound effects of this show are really visceral and they really stick with you, especially the... Let's just say uh, there's a little, a tiny little scream at some little point in the show. That's that's all I'll say. But uh, I was just... at the end of the show. We'd go and yeah. have a pint. Tom would then go off and do whatever he wanted to do. I went home to bed. Well, <laughs> we got the train. We got the same train. We did. Yeah. From yeah. Charles, different directions, but yeah, it, it's exhausting. It is. Just mm. it is. Yeah. Because it's just it's really two of you carrying everything. And if you're not talking, you are being the person that's being talked about. So it's um, it's one of the most exhausting shows I've ever done. So actually, yeah, Pint of Guinness, very yeah. easy to sleep, actually. Yeah. Oh, but, fair yeah, enough. <laughs> sometimes, I mean, you've done it yourself, I'm sure, with the plays, that sometimes yeah. as you're dropping off, you, you rerun a bit that you either think could go better or do yes. as well as you wanted to do, or you have another idea and you think, oh, yes, if I... If I spin it that way, that will work something else a little bit further on. Mm. Um, so that, but never kind of to be, uh, oh, what's happening around the corner? <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> never, I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. Uh, let me just see. Let me just have a look. What more have you got? People nightmares. Oh, yeah. Uh, how does it feel knowing that you probably caused a lot of sleepless nights with a lot of members of the audience that came in. Very satisfying. Yeah, they got their money. <laughs> <for them>. yeah. <laughs> My kids were very young at the time. They were only, I think, seven and eight. That's right. Um, or eight and nine. And yeah. We decided it would be too much for them to see because, you know, you, I th you said you were 14 when you saw it. Yeah. It tends to be the sort of the, the younger age, you know, 12, 13, 14. Uh, and it is bloody scary. Mm. I wish they'd seen it. I, I hope one day Dad and I will get back on stage together. But that I'm sure was you will. I'm sure you will. That was the one. Um, I do wish they'd seen it. But yeah, it's just, it's genuinely scary. Yeah, it really is. It is. And a lot of that's to do with, like I said, the audience buying into it. Yeah. And out of Robin again. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, what was it like doing it twice in one day? Because you oh, had matinees as well. I used to go to sleep on the dressing room floor. Actually, 
once, didn't we? Yeah, we did. We yeah. could stretch out. Yeah. So I used to have something to eat and just go to sleep. Right. If yeah. I could at least go down and do either some. We always warmed up. Yeah. Mm. I, I still always warm up. Um, whatever I'm doing, but um, yeah, uh, I'd have a sleep between shows, go and do a little warm up. Not as big for the second show as I did for the first one, but always something just to get things moving. Yeah. We had our little rituals. Dad had given me this um, wind-up toy, which was a, a monkey hanging <laughs> onto a trapeze. <laughs> and because uh, there's a music box in the in the play. There is, yes. Um, and so Dad had given me this this musical monkey, and basically he goes around very slowly, and he just sort of does a circle around the bar, <laughs> and then sort of the thing flops down. It's one of those kind of little toys. So. We had our ritual, which is I'd always go down to dad's dressing room and we'd go, right, another one. Okay. And yep. we'd, we'd press go on the monkey and the monkey would go round the handlebars, <laughs> just stand there and watch it. And then turn it off and go to. But it's, it's also, you know, dad's, dad's a cracking actor and he, he really, he really still gives a shit, which is quite something for a man in his 80th year. Yes. And, God. you know, that, that level of, of focus and and commitment and, mm. and love the genuine love of the business of performing and mm. storytelling mm. is still there mm. and i think that that's the key it's like this is a great piece of theater and yeah. we're going to get to do it again to a load of people who've never seen it yeah absolutely that's amazing so just just two more questions uh, for, for you guys before we sort of finish up today um, I just thought of this one now, um, you know, when you work sometimes like on a, I'm sure you've, you've had a lot of great nights with women in black and with other things that you've done, but did you ever have performance, a performance or performances where you disappeared like into the role where you, you forgot that you were Tom and you forgot that you were Chris and you were there in the house in Eel Marsh house. And then you suddenly, cause I, I know you just said like after the show, you have a pint of Guinness and go home and sound asleep. Absolutely fine. But um, did you ever have a moment where you you really sort of existed in that play, and you really that that you did you get scared yourself doing the run? Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's that's part of the trick, isn't it? Is that you you you're totally immersed in it, but you've the, the training or your experience gives you these kind of satellites that pay attention to the things that need to keep going a little bit like the the functions of the body, which, which are just reflex, they just happen, heart beating, breathing, you know, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, so I think that that's, that's the goal really is to have all these, these satellites taking care of, of, of reality, whilst you can emotionally fall into whatever space you need to. Mm. I, I mean, I try and I try and forget Chris when I'm working, I mean, this thing, which you've seen something in the air. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm not, I'm certainly not me while I'm doing it. Mm. I, in, in the woman in black, even with the five characters that the, the older man plays, uh, each one, it was Sam Daly or it was tombs or it was, you know, so uh, I, I was nearly always within the atmosphere of the, the play. And that's what I always seek to do with whatever play I'm doing. Mm. Yeah. There's yeah. a thing back in the day um, with Commedia dell'arte. The reason why they couldn't carry swords or, or you know, actual weapons, um, even with the Venetian masks, you know, the masquerades, which was that you couldn't fully be held accountable for a crime you committed whilst wearing a mask. 
because they understood this concept of inhabitation. In yeah, yeah. You, you put something on and you transform. I never knew that. Yeah, that's very good. And that actually, yeah. th there's a transformative process where you do lose yourself. Yeah, you, you have to lose yourself. Um, and yeah, the, otherwise, it can't work, can it? Yeah. You can't just do it mechanically. The security of losing yourself yeah. comes from the the structure of the play, the writing, the design, the direction, all of that thing. Once you feel safe in that, mm. then you, you can really lose yourself. And yeah, I, those those emotions, the fear that's coursing through me every night, definitely in that play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Goose, goosebumps, um, panic, the lot. It's, that's another reason why it's so exhausting. Yeah, you are replaying all of this terror and horror and reliving it um so it is it's it's a tough piece to do yeah, to, mm. to recreate every night yeah it is yeah and just i i do have just one additional one before the final question i'm sorry but uh the the line learning how did you guys because it's just two actors and you mm. it's like speech after speech for you guys how did you learn the lines did you have a different process or did you follow the same process that you do for learning lines but it, it's so well written i mean the lines I didn't find much problem with learning the woman in black uh, either time uh, yeah. was it is well written and you know good writing yes much better much easier to learn than bad writing yeah much easier yeah the, the language is strict it's either uh, between two people or strictly narrative and so yeah it wasn't it wasn't difficult i didn't find it's the biggest part i've had to learn professionally um Actually, have it more. You have it worse, actually, than the older boy, than the, old, than the older person, don't you? Really, there is more. Yeah, there's 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 some bigger chunks. I think. Yeah, there are. But um, yeah, it's definitely the biggest script I've ever had to do professionally. Yeah, I was lucky enough to be able to have quite a few weeks before we started to That's good. to to start memorizing things. But um, I think I'm the same as Dad in this that you you can learn something. But until you're in the space, until you're physically doing it, it's not going to get in your bones. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so much of that comes from the narrative voices of the play and the fact that you carve out the spatial reality of the stage with your actions and imagination. So it's a mm. very physical piece. Yeah. And that really helps with mnemonics for, mm. for, yeah. for the lines. Mm -hmm yeah massively i'm completely stoked guys that this has been such an amazing chat thank you so much both of you for coming on um just just one one last question i promise <laughs> when my brain goes pick me i've got another one it's just like <laughs> uh but um so this is it's a question i like to finish on for all my guests which is um uh of course to both of you what 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 has been an experience or experiences that you've had in your career up to this point that you'll never ever forget well this one yeah yeah woman, woman woman black. Black. i mean working with my son was uh, just quite extraordinary uh, yeah I always remember that yeah i think you know it's 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 definitely up there as in like if i look back on my career i'll be able to look at that and go yeah that, that was it that was it and also <laughs> Hopefully there'll be more to come. Hopefully. Oh, I'm sure there will. I'm sure there will. <laughs> it always felt really pucker. You know, when we did it, it, no audience was sold short. We professionally felt that we'd done a job. Yeah. And I, neither of us ever dropped, dropped the, uh, the bar. Yeah. Only when mm. we got to the bar. 
the physical bar with the beer that's uh, that's always good um gentlemen thank you so much for your time today thank you for being so generous thank you for being open uh this has been this has been i mean i love all my episodes i love talking to everyone but this has been one of my favorites so far and you know thank you both of you for your time and it's just been a genuine pleasure hearing from both of you um if you just hang on i'll just finish the recording i'll say goodbye to you one-to-one but uh Guys, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And this has been the Uncensored Critic Podcast, and I'll be back soon. And once again, Chris and Tom, thank you both so, so much. Thanks, Thanks Oliver. Lovely to talk to you. Lots of luck, mate.